Hey fam, it's Katie. Today I have a video clip I want to talk about, considering the two speaking on it are known to be pretty influential voices in today's world. The video touches on the topics of Christianity, Judaism, adultery, and pornography, and the voices heard are Dennis Prager, founder of PragerU, and Jordan Peterson, a well-known and highly intellectual psychologist. So, thanks for being here. And welcome back to the Katie Armstrong show. You know, God must look down and laugh at the foolishness of those who sit around a table, like we're about to hear, without him and claim to be wise in this world. We are such small, finite creations, and yet we speak as if we have arrived at such grand conclusions all on our own or have all knowledge. It makes me think of those verses in Job 38, when God says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. These kinds of conversations without the true wisdom and heart of God, it's just such foolishness. Anyways, This clip I'm about to roll is a little under three minutes with us stopping and going along the way. It opens with Dennis Prager, again, founder of PragerU, who I should mention is Jewish as it's relevant here, and closes with Jordan Peterson, the well-known and highly intellectual psychologist. So here we go. I am less interested in the interior person, morally speaking, than you are. Than and probably any of you are, and it's largely, I do believe, because I come from a behaviorist, law-based religion. Okay, real quick. The point Dennis is about to make is that he doesn't really care about what goes on inside a person. Thoughts, passions, lusts, intents, all of that. He only cares about their outward behavior because he believes under Judaism and the Jewish law that it is only the behavior that is sin before God. And he's going to use adultery the seventh commandment, and pornography as an example for his point, which, of course, we'll discuss. Rolling clip. We care how you act. That's why we don't have a claim that if you look at another woman with lust, it's as if you've committed adultery with her. I I am, as I said yesterday, I I thank God for America's Christians. And uh, Maimonides said if it weren't for Christians, the world wouldn't know about the Torah. So uh, I'm a big Christian fan. But obviously, Christianity and Judaism are not identical religions. Uh, and, and we have no equivalent that if you look upon another woman with lust, it's as if you have committed adultery with your heart. There's only one way to commit adultery in Judaism, and it's with a different organ. And I'm not being cute. I'm, I'm being very realistic. Uh, looking with lust is not a sin in Judaism. Looking with lust is not a sin in Judaism is where Dennis left off. Let's talk about this for a few minutes, because in view of Judaism, he is right. For face value, looking with lust does not break any of the Ten Commandments given by God in the Old Testament. However, in Matthew 5, Jesus reveals the true intent behind the law when telling his followers that their righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Jewish religious leaders, who supposedly kept the law and their traditions, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. In revealing the law's intent to point to sin in the heart, No matter what anyone said about how they kept the law, it would level the playing field and point out irrefutably their need for a savior. You see, 
the law was never supposed to make anyone feel like they're a good person. I mean, no one could keep the Ten Commandments, let alone all 613 of the Old Testament, which is the point. In fact, this is why God gave the requirement of and forgiveness of sins through the sacrifices. It was a grace that allowed people a place to escape condemnation and be restored to God, albeit temporarily. The constantly falling short and needing to kill a blameless animal in your place to atone for your falling short should have kept any person from feeling any kind of proud. And that's what a lot of the first century Jews felt like. Proud. Or at least the religious leaders. Not grief. Heck, not even condemnation over their perpetual sin that should have lifted their voices up in praise for the grace of God through sacrifice, but proud. Proud of how well they kept the law, as if they were actually keeping the whole law. Why Jesus so harshly called them hypocrites. They were totally missing the point that the law condemned them before God, and it was because of his grace, through the sacrificial system, and their faith in him and it, that they could even have forgiveness and walk with him. Nothing had anything to do with them. It was all a grace of God. But their hearts moved from a position of worship of their gracious and good creator to self-worship and self-righteousness. Instead of seeing their constant shortcoming in God's grace, they found pride and works. And folks like Dennis fall under this to this day. If they truly lived by the law, they'd see their powerlessness to keep it and not only recognize their need for Jesus, but desire his help. But if folks think they are keeping the law and the sacrificial system is manageable and enough, them keeping the law being a reality or not, mind you, Jesus removes all doubt by pointing out that sin starts in the heart and manifests to be restricted by the law. Having to admit that sin starts in the heart and is not just an external action, it knocks those who are self-righteous off their self-righteous horse and forces them back into a place of unworthiness and needing help to stay in God's favor. They couldn't walk around with the same kind of confidence and pride, pointing at others. They'd be forced to admit there is no way they could even come close to keeping up with the sacrificial system enough to be right before God by works, and that they needed some kind of help, like Jesus. But speaking more logically and reasoning, to me it seems so simple, if someone like Dennis wanted to, to get to a place of understanding. Where did the action of sin come from that Dennis will admit is sin? like adultery? Does it not come from within? And do you not think that the thoughts and feelings, the lust that promoted the action are unholy? So whether the actual action is taken or not, the unholy driving force is the same. Sin. One is just hidden sin and the other exposed. I logically don't see how you can dismiss or disagree with Jesus on this and thus not be more open to understand. But like we've mentioned, If you accepted what Jesus said and the logic behind it, you'd have to admit undoubtedly that there is no way you can keep up with the works or sacrifices to keep your pride and make yourself right before God without help, like a savior. So really what it comes down to for Dennis is just a willful decision to not want to accept Jesus's words because he'd then have to start entertaining the idea of needing him, a savior, to be right before God. And a willful rejection of something will always override logic and sense. If someone doesn't want to believe something, they simply won't hear or see no matter how much sense it actually makes. I think of the 2020 pandemic as a great present day example of this. With all that we have to rely on, 
archaeology, prophecy, first century eyewitness testimony from both believers and non-believers, and basic logic and reason, disbelief in anything Jesus is totally irrational at the end of the day. Pride. Dennis likes to be able to think he keeps the law and can pat himself on the back as a good person and a person who, by his works, is right before God. But the truth is, none of us are good apart from Jesus, and there are no amount of works we could do to be right before a most holy God. We need Jesus's righteousness by faith and a total renewal from the inside out. John 3.3 says this, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Last thing on this before we move on. For fun, I looked up lust in Webster's Dictionary, and it says, Usually intense or unbridled sexual desire. An intense longing. Not to beat the proverbial dead horse, but in light of Dennis's rejection of inward sin, being a married man or woman and inwardly lusting as the definition defines after another man or woman you are not married to, that doesn't seem a little destructive to you? Unholy? I mean, legit like sin? That needs to be bridled by, say, a law? Or in New Testament times, resisted and overcome by the power of God's Spirit? It's just so wild that someone is with it as Dennis wouldn't be able to agree with Jesus and or realize the law actually reveals our sinful hearts. But I guess scripture does speak of Jewish unbelief and blindness. All right, moving on. What's the, stance on, porno- what's the stance on pornography? So pornography, when I'm asked this question... You, just to you, put you on the spot. You did way. indeed. Uh, okay, so my, my answer, when it's raised on my radio show, I have a male-female hour, and I'm very open about sexual subjects. I always ask if a wife calls me and says, my husband looks at pornography, I, I, I found on his computer, I have one question. How is your int- life of intimacy with your husband? Is it good? In other words, is the pornography in lieu of you or in addition to you? Mm-hmm. Pornography will always be in lieu of you. Don't even think that there is some ability to just have an in addition to. It doesn't work like that. If your husband or wife is looking at pornography, their mind is being spent with another person, regardless of how they try to spin it, which does and will destroy the pure, unadulterated, and holy institution of marriage God calls a man and woman to have, where there is blessing and true pleasure. As always, though, Satan is great at creating knockoffs of the real thing and selling it as an in addition or replacement of the real thing. Porn will not satisfy. It will only leave you emptier and emptier and needing more and more because it's not by design and you're getting nothing from it but a momentary satisfaction. It doesn't satiate for a reason. It's cheap. It's empty. It's outside God's design. There is no nutritional value there. Don't believe the lie. Back to the clip. Uh, And I know this is not a religious answer, and Mm -hmm. I'm not even giving a religious answer. I'm giving Mm -hmm. what I think is a moral and realistic answer. Men want variety. Correction here. Men's sinful nature wants variety, as Dennis is referring to variety here. There is a difference, but we know God and how to avoid falling for this. The enemy would love to get us into the pit of following after our sinful lust to destroy us and all the good God has for us, and that is currently in our lives. 
He would love for us to believe the lie. But because of God, we can see. We can see what truly gives us life. And it's not, and I'm using air quotes, variety. It's a commitment to one person for better or worse. That is where the blessing is, what is truly good. Anything other will ultimately rob us and lead us down a path of emptiness and destruction. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The more we resist what our flesh wants and exchange it for what God wants, the more we will be able to see that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect, that it indeed is truly all of those things. Never to return to the vomit of the old stuff, the world stuff. Rolling clip. And uh, if adultery is a substitute for, if pornography is a substitute for one's wife, it's awful. If it's a substitute for adultery, it's not awful. Again, porn will always be a substitute for one's husband or wife. And the destructive act of adultery starts with the destructive desire of it, lust, already being committed in the mind and heart. The work is already being done in one's mind to come between two people to destroy them. If you're entertaining sinful thoughts like this, like James 1 says, you've been warned. The desire, when it conceives, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. You're playing with fire. All right, to finish the clip. That is that is my unpredictable answer. Well, there answer. is a clinical rule of thumb that's akin to that, I would say. If you're trying to decide clinically whether someone's partaking in a habit, say use of alcohol, has reached the threshold of clinical significance, one of the things you do is ask the, the person you're assessing, you know, is it interfering with your employment? Has it got you in trouble with the law? Is your family complaining? Does it stop you from doing other things that you should be doing? And so the judgment isn't the use of the forbidden substance itself. It's, it is in some sense consequentialist. And I'm not saying that that's an absolute, but it is a, it is a hallmark of clinical judgment. And this is Jordan Peterson ending with a band-aid way of addressing real problems that are at work to destroy people. There is no real hope or deliverance by that kind of, and I use air quotes, help. Just an application of reasoning and logic to try to keep people stable in their destruction, but not actually calling it like it is no matter what level of hold something has on someone, great or small, and getting rid of it. All right, that's it for today, folks. I hope you found this insightful, at the very least interesting, something you might want to strike up a conversation about between friends or family, especially in light of the fact Dennis Prager and Jordan Peterson are so influential in today's world. If you can rate and leave a review of this podcast, they help me start ranking in Apple Podcasts, and also I read them. God bless you all. As always, thank you for being here, and until next time.